Hello, Geta, Bulavinaka, Talofa Lava, warm Pacific greetings, and welcome to the Pacific Wayfinder. My name is Elira Malifa. The dawn of social media has created seismic shifts in the way people connect and relate. As mobile phone usage and internet connectivity expands across the Pacific, the use of platforms such as Facebook has provided new economic and social opportunities for the region. It has also raised important questions about the impacts of disinformation, digital literacy, and media censorship on the region's security. This is an especially timely issue in the face of COVID-19 misinformation that has circulated since the pandemic began. To help paint a picture of the current social media landscape in the Pacific, we have a two-part episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. We are joined by Nick McDonnell, Head of Public Policy in New Zealand and the Pacific Islands for Meta, also known as Facebook, Dr. Amanda Watson, Research Fellow at the Department of Pacific Affairs at ANU, or the Australian National University. Amanda specializes in mobile and digital usage in the Pacific. And also Jobe Tarai, PhD candidate at the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University. How are you all? Good. Kia ora. Well, thanks. Good. Nick, I want to start with you. Could you please provide us a brief background on yourself and how you come to be working at Meta? Yeah, uh, no problem. And kia ora. Um, thanks for having me. So um, I so look after public policy for New Zealand and the Pacific Islands. So I'm a Kiwi uh, based in Sydney, uh, as that's where we have our sort of regional hub. Um, I have a you know, background in, in law um, and public policy, uh, worked for a number of different sort of commercial organisations sort of facing government, but not necessarily in government. So um, airlines and um, advisory councils, those sorts of things. Um, and I've been with Meta for nearly three years, uh, which in Meta, um, Meta language is almost a lifetime. So um, yeah, it's uh, great to be here. Amanda, I just wanted to turn to you. Could you please introduce yourself and your background um, and how, or maybe touch on how you've seen the use of social media, um, particularly in the expanded mobile phone usage, how you've seen that change um, since you first started your research? Yes, certainly. Uh, so my first degree was in mass communications and I majored in radio and audio production. And my first stint in the Pacific was in Micronesia as a trainer at a radio station. And I then worked as the radio lecturer at Divine Word University in Medang, Papua New Guinea. And it was towards the end of my time as a lecturer at Divine Word University when I was looking for a research topic for my doctorate that I realized that that mobile phone network coverage was starting to expand across Papua New Guinea to rural areas as well as towns and cities, which was quite interesting at that time because up until 2007, so many services were not available in rural areas of Papua New Guinea. People in rural areas didn't, in most places, have electricity, newspaper deliveries, television coverage, and a lot of basic services and so on. Uh, and then uh, the mobile coverage in the second half of 2007 started to expand to rural areas, which I thought was fascinating. So that's what I ended up doing my PhD research on. And I've been researching in these areas ever since. It's really interesting research. Jope, have you witnessed similar trends in your own research? And what areas of the Pacific digital information space have you focused on? Um, thank you, uh, Eli. Um, Chope Tarai. I worked majority of my working life at the University of South Pacific, which allowed me to uh, travel across the Pacific region, including Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, uh, and most of uh, my work in, in Fiji. And a lot of that uh, was within the time where social media started to really expand in the Pacific. 
And I became very fascinated with how young people used it. Uh, and that led to a series of uh, research publications, which then culminated in this thesis topic that I'd been carrying for a while. Uh, and that um, has blossomed into this uh, issue that I really want to uh, research. But um, how I see, to directly answer your question, um, it being used is the variety of platforms that people are using. Uh, I think it's very fascinating, apart from Facebook, especially uh, how things change every year. And they use it not only to exchange information, express opinion, but also to really sort of um, build a world within a world. So I'm very fascinated with that and how they sort of construct their own reality from what is the offline reality. And so every once in a while, it influences the way people operate in the real world. So um, that's some of the ways that I'm really fascinated with how people in the Pacific are constructing those realities from time to time. Nick, what does your day-to-day -day look like um, overseeing the public policy for Meta? Uh, it's, as you can imagine, it's varied. Uh, um, most things have a social media element to them these days. Uh, so our role really is to, um, I would say two things. One is to connect uh, the, the countries that we are sort of responsible for into uh, META, uh, and that can involve a lot of um, um, providing context for those countries back into META because it's a big it's a big company with global policies, uh, and also bringing to bear the expertise that exists within META, and I have some exceptional colleagues, um, and bringing those expertise to bear. But the the sort of topic areas, if you want to um, go down that path. Um, especially when we're looking at the Pacific, really is around uh, safety, online safety, election integrity, um, uh, relationships with government and messaging, and that can touch on, obviously, over the last two years, um, COVID and health messaging, those sorts of things. And another area which is really growing and really exciting is around economic impact um, and the use of the services for small businesses, those sorts of things. So those are the kind of the buckets of content areas, I, I guess. That's really cool. I think I'm going to ask this question to all of you, um, but maybe we'll start with Nick. How important do you see the role of social media and platforms like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp um, in disseminating information in the Pacific? Yeah, look, I think, um, and, um, you know, Jope and Amanda will have more um, intelligent comments to make than me on the sort of spread of mobile technology. But, you know, as, as mobile technology is kind of rapidly spread, uh, across the Pacific, um, you, you do see a, a real importance with um, respect to social media because of the accessibility via mobile technology. Um, and, you know, when we look at the types of things that people are doing on social media and how it's being used, and, you know, those categories I talked about at the beginning, um, it's really important. And so, so you look at things like um, during COVID, we had significant um, uh, activity by governments to push out public health information um, and uh, not just sort of public health information, but also myth busting um, types of um, um, messaging. Uh, you look at um, elections uh, and, you know, we've got PNG coming up, but, you know, we've had Tonga, we've had Samoa uh, recently, we've got Fiji and Solomon Islands in the near future. Um, sort of distributing information about elections, authoritative information about elections, where to vote, how to vote, those sorts of things. Um, and then you look at uh, the way businesses are using it. Um, I think in 2021, the Solomon Islands Chamber of Commerce and Industry did a survey where they said that 72% of their um, sort of members were using social media. 
Um, we're using Facebook as a really important tool to connect with customers. You look at Fiji, there's the um, Barta for Better group that has 800,000 members. So you're really looking at lots of different ways, really important, but um, sort of in all those different categories and all those different bits of society. So government, um, individuals, um, but also the business sector and private sector. Eliora, if I could say, please, that I think that social media such as Facebook and Twitter and other platforms can complement and supplement the other information sources that are available. So for instance, village meetings, which are so important in different ways across Pacific Island countries, uh, the mainstream media, which is very important and remains very important in all Pacific Island countries. And uh, indeed, mainstream media outlets can repost their material. For instance, if there's a television news item, they can edit that item and put it onto, for instance, Facebook or YouTube or something like that for people to be able to access through these internet-based platforms. Of course, telephone calls can be so essential for disseminating information such as tsunami alerts and other information about natural disasters and things like that. So I just wanted to make the point that social media has a role and is able to disseminate information but it also fits into a communicative landscape where there's a range of other ways that people can access and disseminate information. Jopi, you have any thoughts on the way? Yeah, no, I think uh, Amanda and Nick have already covered it uh, really well. All of these different dynamics in which people use it um, have already been explained. So I think the only thing that I think uh, contribute to that is, apart from business and information, is um, how people use it is the other aspect and um, how they disseminate the information and what's the intent behind disseminating information becomes uh, sort of a a new landscape or new aspect that everyone's sort of uh, scratching their heads over um, and trying to understand. And I suppose the other thing to mention too is that not everyone in the Pacific has access to social media. There are many people who don't have access to the internet, whether because they can't afford it or perhaps the mobile network coverage is patchy or weak where they live or indeed in some places it might simply be a 2G or second generation network that doesn't support internet. Uh, There are people, also many people, especially in Melanesia, who don't have electricity access at all or reliable electricity access. So I think it's also worth remembering that there are a range of people in places like the autonomous region of Bougainville and uh, villages in rural areas in Solomon Islands and other places like that where they don't have electricity, let alone internet access and things like that. So not everyone uh, in the Pacific has access to the internet or social media. And to just to add a bit to that, Amanda, do you have any data with regard to gender? Is there do you have any data that would cover how gender is covered or whether there is any difference between the use of mobile phones? Yes. I'd like to refer to an article by Curry Dumu and Kaspersky, which was a fascinating article about the use of mobile phones in Papua New Guinea. And they've described how there are differences between the use and ownership of mobile phones in East New Britain province uh, versus Western Highlands province in this particular article. So women in matrilineal East New Britain province are more likely to own mobile phones and use mobile phones compared to men because of their high status in the matrilineal societies in East New Britain. 
as opposed to in Western Highlands province of Papua New Guinea, where you can see that men are more likely to own mobile phones than women. And I think this is such a fascinating article because it shows us and reminds us that there's great diversity and complexity across the Pacific. And while there are organisations such as GSMA, which is the global global peak body for mobile phone companies that talks about, uh, as a general rule across developing countries, women being less likely to own and use and have access to mobile phones than men. However, this example shows that it's much more complex than that. Uh, as I said, with women in East New Britain, more likely to make phone calls and have phones and things compared to men, as opposed to Western Highlands province where it's the other way around. So it's just a fascinating example, I think, of the diversity in the Pacific. Yeah, definitely. Um, Nick, just following on from what Amanda said, have you seen a shift in how people in the Pacific or over the period of your time at uh, Meta, have you seen in, any shifts in how people in the Pacific use products or Meta products? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say that we've uh, I've sort of noticed a shift in how people use it. I think we're probably becoming more aware of how people have been using it all along. I think um, the largely um, the Pacific and when I you know I'm being slightly naughty in the sense that there's many different nations and they all have different profiles but the, the sort of region um, sort of skipped that PC generation right and so um, mobile technology has been in many ways generalizing the kind of the norm um, but I think pe people are um, people are we're becoming more aware of the economic impact for sure of um, of people using um, Facebook um and and it is primarily facebook i'd say um you know but also and i i don't want to um i don't there's some fantastic opportunities but i also don't want to say that there's not challenges as well and so um there's a lot of work that we do um looking into safety and online safety and digital literacy and um, how to behave online so i guess we're becoming more aware of the different um, ways in which people are engaging um, and some of the you know online spaces and offline activities that can um, that can come from people's usage. So I don't, wouldn't necessarily say there's been a shift or sort of noticed a shift in how people have used it, um, but we're sort of certainly becoming more aware. The only caveat to that I would say is that um, over the time of um, uh, COVID and uh, even over the time of, um, you know, cyclone season, we are seeing more people uh, using the services um, to access um, authoritative information from authorities um, uh, and, you know, products like uh, the, the COVID information centre that we have on the blue app, Facebook, um, is sort of well well used. Thanks, Nick. Um, Jope, as someone who was on the ground not too long ago in Fiji, um, how have you seen Facebook specifically be used yeah, I think it cuts uh, along with what Nick was mentioning, uh, accessing uh, authority information uh, and also expressing particular scenes about what's happening, uh, telling everybody that, you know, this is the intensity of this weather pattern uh, and things like that. Uh, for COVID, definitely, I think uh, Nick really 
placed it on the pulse of things about people using it as an economic tool uh, for selling things, exchanging things. Some would even go so far as to claim that they were able to survive through COVID, through uh, Facebook uh, interactions, having to communicate with people, uh, people um, giving handouts or giving things for other people. I'd just like to quickly go back on your earlier question about um, the gender data because that's something that I'm currently working through and uh, obviously through meta um, data uh, or Facebook data, which I always find very interesting because of the fact that um, in terms of the gender distribution, particular countries in the Pacific have different uh, sort of densities of uh, gender distribution or, or differences. And in Papua New Guinea, for instance, the disparity between men and women, uh, those that have uh, Facebook accounts, they're significantly larger percentage of men. It's almost 60 to 40, which is really fascinating because I was just mentioning to Dr. Watson the other day that uh, does that imply that more men own mobile phones generally? Uh, and so it creates this aspect of really insightful questions about understanding the whole ecosystem of digital technologies and social media. In Fiji, and this is something that, as you've told me, I need to finish that blog piece, and it's something that I want to cover on that blog piece is one interesting trend in terms of gender analysis or gender uh, st statistics about Fiji is that recently, this year, there's been a decline in men on Facebook. It's There's a sharp rise in women on Facebook, or at least those that in Fiji, which... I thought to myself, I, I really have been struggling with this. Like, what has happened? And it's it's created this question, a series of questions to find out, you know, what, what has happened. Is there a mass migration of men into other platforms? Or is there just an increase in women being interested in being online and accessing information and sharing things? Uh, is there a COVID-19 implication where more men were let off work and there's a lot more people, uh, women, engaging in these spaces to uh, exploit the economic potential? Or so it's very interesting. Typically, the Polynesian countries in, in my line of work, when I started researching into especially social media and Facebook, because it's so predominant across the region, the Polynesian countries would have quite a number of women more so than men. Uh, if I'm correct, a few years ago, I think Tuvalu, or is it Samoa? Had, and, and I understood it as, well, you know, the societies are different. But for Fiji's case, I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, and, and I wonder, um, and I look forward to finding out if anybody publishes as to why this is possibly the case. It's going to be very interesting. It sounds like you're publishing it. But um, <laughs> also... Um, yeah, I mean, that is a really good point. Something that we've observed just in our analytics within the Australia Pacific Security College is that specifically with PNG, we get a lot more engagement from men on our comment sections, um, especially if it's something to do with um, their country. Um, but just in general, from that area of the Pacific, we definitely get more um, engagement from men than women. And so there have been questions around um, whether there uh, is more mobile phone usage in the male community in specific parts of PNG or not? It hasn't been a large enough full-scale study, I think, that has really looked at that. I mean, I, I quoted one very interesting study. Uh, certainly in my PhD research in rural villages in Medang province, I found that men were more likely to own mobile phones than women. It was far more common for a woman to say to me when I asked in a one-on-one face-to-face interview in Top Pisin, you got mobile phone? Do you have a mobile phone? It was very common for them to say to me, uh, 
no gat tasol man belong me igat. No, I don't have a mobile phone, but my husband does. Um, uh, in a, hundreds of interviews like that, I only came across one instance when a man said, "No, I don't have a phone, but my my wife has a has a mobile phone." So um, yeah, it does also seem that in some parts of the country, and as I mentioned also with the study I referred to, they certainly acknowledged that men were more likely to own mobile phones in their research they'd done in Western Highlands Province. Uh, just interesting to remember that it's not like that. Uh, in East New Britain province and perhaps other parts of the Pacific where there are maybe matrilineal societies. Yeah, it's really interesting. Nick, would Meta hold any data on that? Well, probably somewhere, but I, I probably couldn't speak to it. But what I what I would say is that it is, it's positive, you know, that the, what Jofe is saying around, you know, the increased, um, increased presence of women using the platform because... Um, you know, you're starting to, particularly when you're looking at um, democratic processes, those sorts of things, you have um, the Prime Minister in Samoa, um, you have some, you know, really capable, um, you know, strong women coming through Fiji. Um, I think the sort of opportunity of technology, not just Facebook, but, you know, technology in general to kind of lower the barriers to entry and democratise things a lot more, provides those opportunities, hopefully for for more women um, and other other groups, you know, to be able to come through and have a presence. And for us, and, and I say to my colleagues, you know, the Pacific is um, often the place where you can see some of the best examples of uh, Facebook and social media um, in terms of giving people voice, um, uh, which is one of our one of our key missions. So. Um, it's really positive to see and he or hear that coming through that m more women are sort of starting to come onto the platform. And by no means does that mean there's not more work to do in that space, but it's a, it's a really positive development. Ellie, can I just jump in uh, here? Um, I completely agree with Nick. The other interesting thing too that I wanted, uh, I was thinking about as he was explaining what he just said is that in Fiji's case, we've just released um, a voter survey of our last elections. Mm -hmm. And according to the voter survey, there were more women that turned out to vote in particular cohorts and, and demography. And to me, that seemed very interesting, connected with this year's elections. And also, in my mind, it sort of place, places pressure on um, on big social networking sites like Facebook, because this means that women actively have a greater sense of civic duty. Because one of the biggest excuses about the lowest voter turnout in 2018 was the weather. And everybody thought, well, you know, quite a fair amount of people didn't go to vote, but the women sort of outranked the men. So now that there are more women, or at least by the uh, uh, gender analysis that's available online about the different distribution, that, that does place pressure on social networking sites in sort of maintaining balance and calm in especially elections time when information can you know, escalate in such a way that it discourages people and creates political apathy. And more specifically, not only for women, but for young people as well, um, because that was also the group that had the lowest voter turnout specifically uh, in our last elections. But they constitute the significant population on online, especially on Facebook. They're the majority. And so um, I think it, it definitely is positive. But at the same time, I, I really hope that uh, social networking sites will uh, work harder to maintain particular semblances of all of these things that can go awry, especially as we've seen in COVID-19 insofar as misinformation was concerned and all of these particular dynamics that escalated that just became so frightening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
Ellie, Ellie could, I, could I just jump in? Because I think it's a really great point that Jope makes, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about misinformation on elections, but I just thought it might be useful. Um, about two years ago, we established a um, online safety and digital advisory group for the Pacific, um, and that was ahead of us rolling out and help to help us sort of design a program, digital literacy program, which we've called I Am Digital. We partnered with Save the Children um, to develop that, and we had a fantastic um, uh, media agency, Web Media, and, and Fiji to also build out that that program, and it's in. I think nine different languages now and a number of different countries across the Pacific. Um, but it really speaks to the point that Joe Poe is making around really um, the efforts to try and make sure online is a safe space for women and young people, um, really. And so um, getting the feedback from that advisory group and building out that training program, but also then us developing our, our policies. So you know, we've recently developed a policy that um, strengthens the protection of um, uh, public figures, um, especially as it may relate to female public figures. Um, uh, so you, things like um, gendered cursing and those sorts of things um, will remove that sort of content. So it's really um, those types of initiatives, just because I've heard Joe, Joe Pei talking about it, it's, it's really, that's where our work in a lot of ways centres in the Pacific, is on trying to ensure we're creating that safe space, giving people voice and obviously freedom to, to speak, but also trying to create that safe space um, as well for, for women and young people. And we invest quite a lot in that um, in that programme, and I'm very pleased to say that it's uh, in its second phase now. And to Amanda's point earlier, it will start going out via radio as well because we know that different means of communication and channels across the Pacific. So, yeah, I just thought it was useful to lay that foundation probably before we talk about the other areas. Okay, on that note, I want to thank all of our guests, Mr. Nick McDonald, Dr. Amanda Watson, and Mr. Jopi Tarai. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. Thank you for sharing your knowledge for updating another. That wraps up the first installment on this two-part episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find a link to this episode on our website, pacificsecurity.net. You can also find us on Facebook at the Australia Pacific Security College or on Twitter at PSC underscore ANU. And you can listen to the Pacific Wayfinder on Google, Apple and Spotify podcasts. The theme song that you're listening to is Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And please tune in next time for more discussions on the Pacific Wayfinder.